Hello and welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Essentials Podcast with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. Hello and welcome to Stonebridge Essentials. I am Pastor John, the Senior Pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. And Stonebridge Essentials is a podcast series where we are looking at three essentials of the Christian faith as described by John Calvin, the Reformed theologian. And this summer, we are focusing on the life and work of Jesus with a specific emphasis on Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection is the foundational claim of Christian faith. The claim of the resurrection is that Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of him being raised from the dead, we now have hope that we too will be raised from the dead. The resurrection is what everything in Christian faith rests on, and everything else is either explained by the resurrection or serves to explain the resurrection and why it's important. And the last few weeks, I've been focusing on why the resurrection is important, but now we're going to focus for the next few weeks on not why it's important, but why it makes sense to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical claim. The writers of the New Testament are claiming that this actually took place in history. So what I think it comes down to for us is, do we trust that claim? What I'm not going to be doing here is trying to prove that the resurrection happened. We don't prove things from history, really. That's just not the way history works. In science, you prove something by doing an experiment over and over and over and documenting the results. We can't recreate historical events. So we look at the evidence that we have and we decide what actually makes sense. What is the simplest explanation? What is the most likely explanation? And when you're dealing with history, you're dealing with probabilities and plausibility. So I'm not going to be trying to prove that the resurrection happened because I just don't think we can prove it in the same sense that we prove a scientific fact. But what I am going to do is try to explain why it makes sense to trust the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. I'm going to be relying on two different books during the next few weeks. One of those is by Richard Bauckham, a scholar, and it's entitled Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. The other one is by a scholar named Peter Williams, and his book is entitled, Can We Trust the Gospels? If you want further reading, I'd recommend those two books to you if you really want to dive into this. The Peter Williams book is much smaller than the Richard Bauckham book, so you might want to start with that one. But we have to remember that the claim of the Gospels, the reason that the Gospels were set aside as the really four definitive documents in the New Testament, why they were placed at the front of the New Testament, why our faith really revolves around the Gospels, is because they were assigned to eyewitnesses. Or if they weren't directly eyewitnesses themselves, they were assigned to the testimony of eyewitnesses. And let me explain what I mean there. In the early two, three hundred years of the church, more than the four Gospels that we have were circulating around. There were other Gospels that were being written. Those other Gospels, though, were determined to not be accurate or to not be resting on the claims of eyewitness testimony. The four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were determined 
to have been connected to eyewitness testimony. And initially, that's what gave them their authority. John and Matthew were thought to be derived directly from eyewitness apostles of Jesus. Mark and Luke were thought to be resting upon the testimony of eyewitnesses. It was thought that Mark was a travel companion of Peter and that the Gospel of Mark relied on Peter's testimony. Luke was thought to be a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. And though Paul himself wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus's earthly ministry, Paul traveled and interacted with eyewitnesses. So, the gospel's claim is that they are eyewitnesses or that the testimony in them is connected to eyewitnesses of Jesus's life and of Jesus's resurrection. So, if we wanted to test that claim, if we wanted to be skeptical, what are the things that we would look for? I think one thing that you would look for in eyewitness testimony is accuracy of details. For instance, if somebody is writing about a location that they have never been to, you can usually tell. If they're writing about a place that they haven't visited, you can usually tell. So if the Gospels were written in Greece or Turkey or Egypt decades or centuries after the events that they sought to portray, then we would see that the geography and the knowledge of geography would be off. There would be little details that would be fudged. But you don't actually see this in the Gospels. There's an accuracy of detail here. For one example, and these things might sound minor, but they give the Gospels an air of authenticity. So one example, like I said, the Sea of Galilee. Matthew, Mark, and John all refer to the Sea of Galilee. We today talk about the Sea of Galilee. The issue here, though, is that the Sea of Galilee isn't really a sea by any definition. And the word in Greek that's used there, it's not really a, a sea per se, too. The Sea of Galilee is only 13 miles at its farthest point from coast to coast. Compare that to, for instance, Lake Superior, which is 350 miles. Lakes are bigger than the Sea of Galilee throughout our world. But Matthew, Mark, and John all refer to the Sea of Galilee over and over again as the Sea of Galilee. If somebody were an outsider, or if somebody were looking at the region, or they were just looking at a map, and they were trying to write the gospel hundreds of years later, 50 years later, by looking at a map, they would just refer to the Sea of Galilee as a lake. In fact, we know that because the Gospel of Luke refers to the Sea of Galilee as a lake. It's thought that Luke is directed towards an audience that isn't as familiar with Palestine where all the events of Jesus' life took place. So Luke, translating it for others, refers to the Sea of Galilee as simply a lake because that's what most people would have thought of it. The fact that Matthew, Mark, and John all refer to it as the Sea of Galilee means they knew the local name for this body of water. And they refer to it like that over and over and over again. 
It's one of those little details that just gives you a sense of authenticity here, that these were locals, that these were people who knew the geography, they knew the names of places. Even when that name wouldn't make sense to an outsider, they knew it and they used it. Another detail is that Jesus has a brother named James. This might sound commonplace as well. However, this becomes important because it's not just in the Bible that we learn that Jesus has a brother named James. There's a Jewish historian named Josephus, and he's pretty important for understanding the historical accuracy of the Gospels. Josephus recounts in one of his history books that a James of Jerusalem who was thought to be the brother of somebody named Jesus was killed by authorities in Jerusalem. So a non-Christian source who was in Jerusalem around the time of these events also named James as the brother of Jesus and recounted that he was killed. That means that very early on, one of the details of the Gospels was affirmed by somebody who didn't have the same agenda as the Gospels. The other thing that this means, though, is that Jesus' brother, James, who we can confidently say did exist and was killed and did become a follower of his brother, was alive during those early years of the spread of the resurrection of Jesus and the news of Jesus' resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody were to come to me and say that my brother was raised from the dead and was God in human form, I would be very, very skeptical of that claim. I love my brother, but I do not believe that he is divine. But that's what happens with James here. And we have that attested through a non-Christian source. James believed that his own brother had been raised from the dead. If other people had come and had said, your brother was raised from the dead, I would say, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's not true. But James doesn't do that. He becomes convinced himself, and he ends up giving up his own life for the fact that he believes his brother Jesus was raised from the dead. These kinds of details, they give the Gospels a feeling of authenticity. There's other details as well. Certain times, Jesus will be talking about different cities and towns, and he'll put the towns in the correct order geographically if you're walking along a map there. But these towns, some of them are so small that they wouldn't have been on a map. We, we know they're, they're there through archaeology, through other sources, but it wouldn't have been popularly known unless you walked that trail. Another piece of evidence here, or not evidence, but just these details that add up is the knowledge of Jewish customs. As Christianity spread, it became less and less Jewish. But early on, Christianity was very much a sect of Judaism. And the descriptions of practices of Jewish culture are accurate in the Gospels. They know what they're talking about, which means they're there early on. Before the church has become less and less Jewish, they are there, seeing these practices, partaking of these practices, and documenting them. 
So, when you read the Gospels and you look at all of these details, it looks like the details of people who are trying to get things accurate and who know what they're talking about. Now, this does not prove the resurrection. Like I said, we can't prove it. But what I would say, and this is actually an argument that Peter Williams makes, and most of these examples come from his book here too, is that without the miracles in the Gospels, pretty much everyone would look at the Gospels and say, this is accurate history. If you were to take the miracles out and you just looked at the details that are there, you looked at how close they are in time to the events they seek to describe, how early the Gospels actually were, and the details that are there, it all lends a feel of credibility, of authenticity. And if there weren't the miracles there, I don't think anyone would have a problem believing that these Gospels were accurate. The reason people have a problem with it is because they describe Jesus' miracles and they they describe the resurrection of Jesus. And people will say that those miracles don't happen today, or at least we don't see them happen today. I actually do think these miracles do happen today. But people will say, we don't see them, so the Gospels must not be telling the truth. We don't see resurrection happening today, so the Gospels must not be telling the truth. I want to say that that stance actually isn't relying on evidence. And the simplest explanation for the Gospels and for the spread of Christianity is that people actually believed that Jesus' resurrection happened. That they actually truly believed that this took place. And not just one person or two people, but thousands of people. Because remember, that's the claim. One thing that is not contested is that Christianity had a very rapid spread. It basically blows up in the world. There's a certain point where there's no Christians, and then within a generation, you have an overwhelming number of Christians, and it spreads rapidly. The best explanation for that is that something truly remarkable actually happened that convinced people that they had truly seen Jesus rise from the dead. There's other ways that you could explain all this, but that's just the simplest explanation. And usually the simplest explanation is the correct one, particularly when we're looking at history. So this isn't meant to prove to you that the resurrection took place. Again, as I've said over and over, I don't think we can prove that. But what this says is it makes sense to trust the Gospels. They know what they're talking about in other areas. The details all add up. When they're talking about geography, when they're talking about names, when they're talking about culture, all the details that they shouldn't know if they weren't based on eyewitness testimony, it all adds up. And you pair that with the fact that Christianity spread as rapidly as it did, that overnight, really, in terms of history and historical terms, overnight, Christianity becomes a rapidly spreading faith. The simplest explanation is that something remarkable happened and that these people truly believed Jesus was raised from the dead. So much so that they wanted to pass down to us a record of what Jesus did, what Jesus said, and of his resurrection. 
So that's, I think, one thing that points to trusting these gospels. One thing that can help us learn to trust these gospels is that in the areas we can document, they've proven trustworthy. They've shown that they knew what they were talking about. Next week, we're going to talk about some of the contradictions in the Gospels and how to navigate those and how to handle those. I look forward to continuing the conversation, and God bless you this next week.